Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's episode 27 of the Noel Kassler podcast. We're coming to you live to digital memory card to upload it onto a website to your ears. And we're happy that you're tuning in with us once again. I'm back here with my main man, LLJK. Ladies love Jimmy Kennedy. How you doing today, Jimmy? I'm hanging in there, bro. It's been a long week in America. A lot has happened, but we're going to break it all down. That's why people are tuning into the show. So uh, They're tuned in to listen to you, Jimmy. <laughs> the ladies are tuning in to catch you. Jimmy's hair is looking fresh today if you're watching this on the YouTube. Uh-huh. That's right. Uh, oh, Jimmy's blushing now. That's uh, just my Irish cheeks. Irish you, get, you get some sun? Oh, yes. Got to. I mean... I know by the time September rolls around, you know, those fall temperatures start to creep up. And then by the time it's my birthday, it is fall, you know, so got to really hone in on the tan this week and next week. <laughs> that I was just out there getting me some right before the show. The temperature is already, you know, it's summer here, but I, you know, I'm in the Hudson Valley, which is a beautiful place to be in the fall. And it's kind of like probably the best place you could be when you think of quintessential fall, like pilgrims and stuff. That's all <laughs> the Northeast, obviously. But yeah. at night, it's already 50 degrees, like it's already chilly in the house. And a week ago, it was, you know, hot. It was 90 degrees. And on Wednesday, three days ago, we had a tropical storm, the remnants of Hurricane Ida. And I want to talk about that for a minute because it was yeah. the second tropical storm that we've had in a week. You know, we, we got the other one, Henri, and then everybody told us to freak out and worry about Henri. And we did. And it was kind of a nothing situation, thankfully. And then this thing kind of came out of the blue. Like we definitely dropped the ball collectively in terms of just like weather watchers and people in the Northeast, because nobody was thinking about it. Nobody was staying at home or prepared. And it hit at like nine o'clock on a Wednesday night, which is a busy time mm -hmm. in the New York City. I mean, hit all the way from Maryland, you know, all the way up to Massachusetts. But it clobbered New York City and it clobbered Central Jersey and North Jersey and it clobbered up here in Westchester. There's a river out in the backyard, a couple acres away from the house. And it's I won't say the name because I don't like to give up completely my location since I get a lot of weird messages all the time. But, you know, it's a river that's a, you know, a substantial river that feeds a reservoir and it jumped its banks and flooded the woods behind the house to the point you know like two acres that are woods dude like where deer live and stuff was a running river mm. imagine like an acre of water just rushing that's how it was there's a path through there to, to to the river and i went to walk on it the next day and it was just flooded i'd put a video up on twitter and everybody's like oh that's pretty i'm like no no that's not supposed to be a river right there <laughs> you know the river is narrow it's like 20 feet across or something and it just jumped its banks and flooded a wide swath of land and it was like a once in a hundred year kind of flood it just doesn't happen like that and right. uh, now it happens like that all the time and it's really scary and it's really dangerous you know and i'm in the country so we can sort of absorb it but people died in their cars in jersey and stuff you know those flash floods come up and you're in an overpass or you know going under an overpass underpass i guess it's called and you think you can drive through it you can't you get swept away and your car fills with water and it it kills people and 46, I think 47 people died. So it was dangerous, you know, and it also shows the need for infrastructure. The subways were shut down completely in New York City. They flood every time it rains now. You know, you saw the videos, I'm sure, and our listeners saw like 
floodwaters going in on 23rd Street. You know, it was biblical. And that stuff happens all the time now, all the time. And Louisiana is without power. I think the storm hit on Sunday, right? So almost a week ago, and they still don't have power. And the reason they don't have power is because all the power lines are above ground, like they are here. You go to Europe, they're all buried. You know, the electric cables are buried in the ground, but it costs a lot of money to do that. And these power companies don't want to do that. So Entergy and these Southern power companies, like what happened in Texas and stuff, they don't want to spend the money on burying these power cables, which they easily could, but they'd rather give billion dollar bonuses to the CEOs and their shareholders. So it's profit over people once again, because they're not going to suffer. They have generators. They escape town when the bad weather hits. And it's a bunch of other people that go without power for 10 days. And I say other people, because that's their attitude. Like, hey, just a bunch of poor fools right? They're going to have to, what are they going to do? Not use us. We're the only power supplier in town. Europeans laugh. And I, you know, I'm in Westchester. I'm in a pretty, you know, it's an upscale area and we still have power lines that are wooden pole with a wire on it. You know, I have a wire coming to my house for power. That's like technology from like the turn of the century. (laughs) You know (laughs) what I mean? That's like a hundred year old technology. That's like when you're building a model train set and you build the little village and you're, oh, look, they have electricity. You know, that's some (laughs) old stuff. And we lost power last year for almost two weeks last summer because a freak storm came through and it's dangerous, right? Because, you know, it's 90 degrees in Louisiana. You can survive up here without power. Down there, I mean, it's dangerous, right? And the hospitals are already full with COVID patients and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, you're sitting there on day eight in 90 degree heat in the dark with no, you know, fresh water and no food. It's a dangerous, horrible situation. And it's made worse by power companies that don't want to reinvest in their business. You know, they want to eke out profits for the shareholders and for the guys that own the company and the CEOs and your red state politicians, let them get away with it as your blue state guys do too. You know, it should be a national mandate in this infrastructure thing. Like if you own a power company, we're capping the amount of profits that you can like pay your CEOs, you know, and your shareholders until you come up to 21st century standards. Okay. Cause you're making record profits off of hundred year old technology. Right. You know what I'm saying? You reinvest in your business. Every dime I have, I put into the podcast and my comedy career. Like I don't make any money. Do you know what I'm saying? But I hope to, I hope to pay you for your hard work someday, you know, like. You're betting on yourself for the time being. Yeah, well, yeah. And you have to reinvest in your business is my point. If you have a customer, you're supposed to be delivering the best product you can, you know, and that's as an entertainer, every artist I work for would always have the best equipment, the best sound engineers, you know, you're trying to deliver the best product you can to the, your paying customer. That used to be the American ethos. And Republicanism, Republicanism came in and it's like, nope, the shareholders who you answer for. No, answer to your tens of millions of customers that you're leaving without power for the upteenth time this year. And in Texas, the energy company made the consumers pay the cost of what happened in February when they had their big ice storm and they all lost power and Ted Cruz fled to Cancun and stuff. They put the billion dollars that cost on the customers. They have to pay it. All of their electric bills went up like 30%. Like that's insane. And that's a system that's evil. I mean, that's just wrong. That's just wrong on so many levels. That's, you know, that's just evil. It's why the Russians had a revolution, you know, like when so many people control 
or so few people control wealth and power over so many, it becomes really a dangerous situation. Well, and to me, man, when I look at this, you know, natural disasters are kind of becoming like mass shootings. You know, how many times do we have to see a hurricane bear down on a state and rebuild it before we just make the investment, like you said, in trying to build a better infrastructure for the future? That's what John Kerry was saying in his appointment and his position in trying to control climate right now. We're already spending the money every year that we have to rebuild this. And it's only, continu- it's only gonna continue to get worse if we pour fossil fuels into it. And as we talked about before, the people that aren't going to be affected by this are those that are in the suburbs. The folks that are already struggling economically are just gonna have it complicated by further natural disasters. Uh, absolutely, you know, and it's, you know, you're spending tax dollars to rebuild a lot of this stuff. You're spending insurance company dollars to rebuild. You're not spending energy company dollars that haven't prepared properly. You're not spending fossil fuel profits on the rebuilding. Cause you know, that hurricane came from Exxon Mobil. Okay. It's not Ida, some nice little lady who's going to bake you chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's yeah. a result from heating up the atmosphere by burning fossil fuels like there's no tomorrow, you know, we're still acting like it's 1950 and gas is 27 cents a gallon. And you, you can drive a 40 foot long car that gets 10 miles to the gallon. We're, we're still acting like we're in this delusional time. Much of America is not all of us. This is generalizations I'm talking about here, folks. I'm a comedian. This is all off the top of my head. I make mistakes. Last week, I said COVID-19 in making a point that there's been several iterations you know, of SARS-based kind of viruses. And I said that COVID-19 was named because it was the 19th one. As I was saying it, I knew it was wrong. And I heard, I think Trump or somebody say that once and that it stuck in my head. The point I was making was correct is that it wasn't the first one to come along and there'll be others. And we were discussing the Delta variant, but I did in fact say something wrong. And that's going to happen. There's no fact checker. There's no editor. It's me and Jimmy here. And uh, I apologize for making that mistake. And you're going to have to bear that. This is not a news show. This is me making rants off the top of my head with no script live to my friend Jimmy here. So if it offended you, find another podcast. You know, if you couldn't wait to get out of bed and text me or, you know, send me a message that I got it wrong or leave me a message on Apple podcast that I got something wrong. Well, you win. I definitely got something wrong. It won't be the first time. It won't be the last. But my point was correct. It was about the fact that these diseases are here to stay and we have to be responsible. We have to wear masks and try to protect each other. I'm not out here like Joe Rogan telling you to take horse paste, you know, (laughs) and I checked his Twitter feed today. He's re-upping all that stuff. He's like retweeting all these crazy (laughs) conspiracy stuff, you know, and the guy got it. And I think I said on this podcast a week or two to go that he was playing an arena or in Orlando. He played Orlando last weekend. And I said, like, what are these guys thinking? I know he doesn't probably care about himself and he's got $80 million so he can get all this medicine, you know, and he's probably was vaxxed already. So he's not in much danger, even though he would pretend like he's not vaxxed to his viewers. He knows a lot of those dude bros that are going to see him are buying that bullshit. And some mm-hmm. of those guys ain't going to live because their organs are already depleted from all the steroids they're taking to try and look like their hero. Do you know what I'm saying? That's the danger. So if I make mistakes on here, I do it, but I'm not giving you disinformation. I might get 
say too stupid stuff, but you know, I got to vent on that because it's annoying. You know, it's not almost worth talking about the news unless you have an editor and unless you have a fact checker, but like, this is my opinion. I'm trying to draw a bigger picture of the way I see things and patterns in life. This is not, if you're getting your news here, you're severely in a danger zone. Don't listen to this show for the news. Listen to this for me to bust Jimmy's balls about his hair, you know, and have him tell you about Tim Tebow again this week and what Tim's up to. <laughs> it's yeah, it's bordering on obsession, buddy. Right. Well, we'll do yeah. Tebow later. Hold on to the Tebow time. Tebow time's coming. Okay. Fair enough. Um, but anyway, so I just want to say that, you know, cause it's like, we're in maddening times. It's very frustrating and it's very frustrating speaking out because the trolls are winning. You know, I'm in recovery since my video went viral a couple of years ago. I get death threats. I get trolls. I'm used to it. I get it day and night on social media. Somebody made it into a recovery meeting that I was speaking at last week, last Wednesday, you know, a meeting that's part of a big liberal arts school in New York. And when it happened in person, it was down there on the campus. And it's kind of a meeting, you know, if you're in AA, you can figure out where this meeting is. Somehow, after getting hacked a couple of weeks ago by the Russians, I assume it's the Russians since all the emails I get now are in Russian, <laughs> you know, I get spammed Russian emails and they open credit cards in my name and all this crazy stuff and lock me out of Twitter for a day. So somehow the trolls made it into this recovery meeting you don't know this, Jimmy, but I speak a lot publicly about my story behind the scenes getting sober. And I'm kind of a bit of a known speaker on that circuit a little bit. And it's a great opportunity to do service and it keeps me sober and maybe it helps somebody out. So it's a big part of my life. I do it a few times a week. I attend recovery meetings every day, at least once or twice online, but somebody made it into my recovery meeting and listen to my whole intimate, you know, my story where you're speaking, you know, anonymously with fellow alcoholics about truth of your thing, what happened, what it was like, and what it's like now, somebody trolled me at the end of it. They're like, hey, you know, and they'd obviously Googled me and knew everything about like what I've done in terms of speaking out. And they're like, why don't you talk about Hunter Biden? Talk about Hunter Biden's drug addiction, like, like crazy batshit, crazy stuff. But it was like a, a violation because that was one last safe space I felt like I had. And in person, you do have a safe space because you're showing up in a church basement and you can see who is in the room with you. Right. But online, somebody can have their camera off and it just says John R or whatever. And right. then they can be recording everything you're saying. They can be filming it and they can use it against you. And by that night, I had trolls in my Twitter feed being like, go to a meeting blah, blah, blah. You need a meeting like all this. They were clearly starting to troll me off of the stuff they'd found there. My point in all of this is the stuff becomes exhausting, you know? So if I make a mistake that doesn't threaten your life and you still get the major point of what I'm trying to say, send me a DM if you want to, but you don't have to like publicly post on everything because I can see that People's nerves are so frayed that like the left can be almost as annoying as the right. And a lot of people don't want to hear that. But like some people get so annoying in the replies on tweets that it becomes exhausting <laughs> to continue to speak out. Not every single tweet can have every point you want it to have in a certain tweet, right? There's 280 characters or whatever. Now somebody's going to be like, nope, it's 160 characters, <laughs> right? But like... <laughs> Whatever the amount is, it's very limited. And, and I always tweet very specifically about what I'm thinking in the moment. So, you know, I may, I may, I didn't forget that 
like I tweeted about DeSantis today, and I said he's killing cops, firefighters, teachers, nurses. Someone said, you forgot children. No, I didn't forget children. It's obvious. I was trying to make the point that he's killing shift workers on Labor Day weekend with a preventable disease that could have been under control at this point, but he wants to sell Regeneron. Right. Because his biggest donor owns a bunch of stock in a company up here in Terrytown, you know, in Westchester. So he's letting people die. I looked at his feed, his Twitter feed the other day, yesterday. The entire thing is an ad for monoclonal, you know, however you say it, monoclonal antibodies. Right. Monoclonal antibodies. That's exactly. the best I can do. <laughs> uh, so that, but, it, you know, he was calling it Regeneron Clinics in the beginning, and he got so much pushback because of his donor that he changed the verbiage to monoclonal antibodies. So that's right. what he uses now. But every tweet was about that. Every single tweet. And last Sunday, he was up here in New Jersey having a fundraiser at a bunch of billionaire, you know, private rich guys home in New Jersey while his state is raging with COVID and people are dying and children are dying and children are quarantined. He's up here raising money. And the New York Times at the same hour that this guy was in Jersey raising money, put out a headline, Delta still surges in Florida despite state's best effort to contain COVID. And that's a state that did nothing to contain it. They were having spring break last April when the rest of us were hiding in our apartments for six weeks in New York City. You know, when people weren't even going out to get food, they were like party time, right? So my point is the media will help this happen, right? You know, like there's interest at the New York Times in having another big Trump villain take the national spotlight because there's money to be made and nobody stopped Trump. He's now taken all of that money that he's making off of his latest grift, which is like save America or whatever. And he's paying the rent on Trump Tower, you know, for all the tenants that have moved out because they all went bankrupt and nobody wanted to be in Trump Tower anymore. Nobody's in any of the office space in New York City, really, but especially not that place. And he's taking money that he's grifting from people after these people have had the hardest year and a half probably in their lives, right? As a generalization, most of America has suffered economically in the last year and a half. If you're not a billionaire and you don't own a bunch of stock in Amazon, you probably didn't do that well. And uh, he's taking that money and paying the rent in his building and no one's even calling him on it. There was a huge article in the Washington Post on Friday, David Fahrenholt, who's a great reporter, had this article that in any other time would be like, oh my God, can you believe that guy's doing it? And it's technically not against the law because it's this new PAC and you can do anything you want with the PAC money. That's what Citizens United was. That was the whole point of Citizens United and the Koch brothers. You know, and it happens on the left too. There's a lot of guys like you see it all the time. Send me money, help me stop this. Like, you know, we don't know where the money's going. With Trump, you know where it's going. It's in his pocket. And, and we've accepted it. And what I've always warned people about is that he will wear you down. He will wear you down to the point that you start to accept things. And I feel like we're getting to that point, right? We'll get into Texas in a minute. And obviously we're not gonna accept that. And that's another case, right? How many times on this podcast have I said, Jimmy, I can't with these Texas people that, you know, I don't know how many people I've had to block from Texas that are like, stop picking on Texas, either help or shut up or whatever. It's like, I'm trying to help. I've been trying to sound the alarm about Texas for the last six months. I've been doing this podcast saying, watch out for this guy. Watch out for Abbott. Stop this guy. You know, I try to tell people what his background was, how he got his money in the first place, you know, and how then he outlawed tort reform in Texas. He's a bad dude. 
and I'm from New York. I don't have to spend my time talking about Texas and Florida. I'm trying to help. So when you come into the replies and you're like, stop talking about Texas, we're not all bad here. No one says you are. It's a generalization. But you didn't surround the state capitol. You didn't prevent him from doing this. We all knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. You, you couldn't have really thought the you know six out of nine Supreme Court judges that have bought and paid for by the Koch brothers and appointed all the way back to Clarence Thomas, like being completely federalist society, we're going to repeal abortion, Roe <laughs> v. Wade, right? You couldn't have thought any of that stuff wasn't going to happen. Like you knew September 1st, it's a permitless carry law. You know, there's more draconian voter restrictions. And now this abortion thing. And like, that's what I was screaming about, you know, and people are like, well, don't, don't blame us, you know, and I get that. I get the frustration and I'm trying to make a larger point here is that it's all going to become exhausting. And that's what they want. They want people in fighting on the left and hating each other and blocking each other and all this kind of stuff. And as so- sooner or later, you sort of have to do it to save your own mental health. And you have to just be like, you know what, whatever. And that's what Trump did. That's what he did his whole career. And I've said many times, you know, the first time he had Miss universe people couldn't believe he was checking the teeth of his contestants and lining them up and inspecting them like pieces of meat and it cost an hour of production time and people were disgusted and by the next year they wrote it into the schedule trump inspects contestants so they didn't have to pay all the union labor to show up there an hour early they just gave him the hour that's what happens he does it almost in plain sight and you become numb to the crime And that's what the GOP saw that it worked. They said, this guy isn't being held accountable. And what's happening now? Summer's over, man. This is the last weekend. It's Labor Day weekend, right? We're in September. Where are these arrests you keep talking about with the Trump family? You know, Matt Getz is still walking free. He's probably getting ready to find out who he's going to bring to prom, you know, next year or whatever. You know what I mean? Going to bring his new wife to homecoming dance. These guys are still out there and they're getting stronger and they're getting emboldened. Well, and we're eight months from January 6th, you know, almost nine months, and we're just now getting the phone records. I'm all for stability and trying to get back to where we were. But after Trump, you, you don't get back to where you were. You need to tilt it that far left to try to regain some balance. You know, Biden's doing the best he can. But where's the sense of urgency? I mean, we're, it feels like with each day, we're losing more ground and nobody seems to want to address it until it's too late. Because you have guys that are part of the establishment. Biden's a great guy and he's doing some great things. He's not the guy I would have picked going into this battle. You don't want people that are sort of of the same beast. You, I want AOC. I want somebody, you know, I want a minority, a woman, somebody of color, like somebody who's like been held down in this life. Not that Biden hasn't like earned his place, but he's been a part of Washington for 50 years. He's doing great. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to get Biden hate mail. My point is like, you need somebody who realizes the urgency of the moment. Merrick Garland was picked by Obama because he, you know, he spoke in favor of the Federalist Society. You know, he's one of these guys. Obama was like, there's no way the Republicans will reject this guy. He's basically one of them. That was the whole strategy in nominating him in the first place. So he's not the kind of guy you need, in my opinion. You needed somebody who was going to go into the DOJ on January 22nd, say, Hey, raise your hand if you were hired or appointed or promoted during the Trump administration, you know, and whoever raised their hands, okay, you're fired. 
get up, walk away from your desk and leave the building right now. That's what you needed, a top to bottom cleaning house. And I understand why Biden was like, I'm going to stay out of politicizing the Justice Department because Trump had abused it so much in his tenure. But once he abuses it that way, you can't go back to the way it was before. And that's what was Biden's hope is that he would go back to having this not politicized agency. But the thing he hadn't counted on is how many people had infested the structures of our government during the Trump years. You know, he appointed 200 federal judges. That's these guys, all all these circuit court judges across the country are the ones that are going to mandate Trumpism for decades to come. And the Republicans know it. And I'll correct you on one thing, Jimmy. We, we're not just now getting the phone records. We're just now asking for the phone record. Right. There's yeah. no guarantee that you get them and they'll come up with lawyers and reasons to not give them to you. And while that's happening, because they know how to make the system work for them. That's the purview of the white man in America, right? You get it to work for you because you have money and power. That's what Trump always did. Daddy had lawyers. I can do whatever I want. So, you know, you might get those phone records, but in the meantime, it's like I always say, it's whoever lies the loudest wins because we're not talking about truth anymore. Kevin McCarthy put out an ad this afternoon. We're taping this on Saturday and it was like a commercial and it was like the Taliban now has more aircraft than most NATO nations. The (laughs) Taliban now has 5,000 new fighters. You know, thanks, Joe Biden. 20 years after 9-11, The Taliban is stronger than ever. Okay, Trump signed a peace treaty, a surrender deal with the Taliban. You know, H.R. McMaster, Trump's own guy, called it a surrender to the Taliban. That's what it was. Trump went there and gave them everything they wanted. Well, yeah, sure. We'll let all you guys out of jail. We'll free that guy. He can be president because Trump was short sighted and thought he would get a Pulitzer Prize or Pulitzer Prize, a Nobel Prize out of it. Trump can't write. He's never going to get a Pulitzer Prize. You got to have to spell for that. But anyway, uh, or read. But anyway, Trump thought he'd get some kind of ego gratification out of it, didn't really understand the complexity and the evil guys around him did. So they knew they were leaving a tripwire for the next guy. That's obviously we discussed it before, but that's why Pompeo went back after they lost the election to make sure this whole thing blew up in Biden's face. And Biden did a great job in the face of an insurmountable, ridiculous tragedy that he basically got under control after the first day or two of chaos, we were getting tons of people out there, out of there. And then we had the horrible attack and we lost service members. And they're going to pin that on Biden for the next three years. Like you won't believe Jimmy, you think Benghazi was a lot. This is all you're going to hear about. You know, so my point is Kevin McCarthy's commercial will be everybody's commercial who's running for Congress on the right for the next three, four years. And it'll work because people don't know any better. They don't discern this stuff. They listen to the loudest lie and they listen to the dude sitting next to him at the bar stool. And the Republicans are good at throwing red meat to these guys. Things that feel good to say, yeah, I can't believe Biden left all that equipment behind. Well, first of all, that's the scam. That's what the military industrial complex does. They, they want to leave that shit behind. So you have to order new stuff. You know, that's what keeps those contracts going. That's why they blow up all the ammunition. That's why they use so much fuel in war. You're not going over there to recycle and conserve. (laughs) You know, you're going there like unlimited spending because it's for our defense. In actuality, it's a big scam. We don't go to countries out of human interest. We go where there's money to be made. Don't kid yourself. Otherwise, we're not doing shit in Syria. People are getting suffered there for 
10 years, we haven't done a damn thing, right? And by the way, speaking of Syria, Trump pulled out of Syria, left the Kurds in the lurch who had been our allies, and there was Russians sleeping in American cots that night, right? Mm -hmm. There was Russians using military bases, you know, Air Force bases with runways. You know how much it costs to build a runway in a foreign (laughs) country? It costs a lot of money. You don't just roll out some concrete. Like there's some high-tech stuff involved. He gave it all to them in a day, and women were getting brutalized in the aftermath, and he didn't care at all. So- but it doesn't matter, right? Joe Lunchbox at the bar, who's already swinging right, is not going to listen to that. And it's going to be real like, yep. You know, like last weekend, they lied and said Biden didn't go meet the service, the fallen service members, right? At Andrews Air Force Base. And he was there, you know, but the day before they're like, Biden didn't go. And the tweet went viral and became a talking point. And that's my point. Like Fox News lies every night, tells people not to wear masks. COVID is a hoax. You name it. Like, don't get the vaccine. Trump today. Don't get the va- I wouldn't get a booster shot. You know what that means? It means he already got the booster <laughs> shot, bro. Yeah. I guarantee you that's what that shit means. The hypocrisy goes further because, you know, all these folks on the right are bitching and complaining about these women and children getting slaughtered. And it's justified. You know, that, that you don't want that to happen, especially when we've been invested in their well-being the last 20 years. But you didn't have that concern for the women of Texas this week. You know, like, again, the GOP picks and chooses their empathy and whatever fits their argument. That's part of the frustration. It's like one time you're going to use an argument to go against somebody and then you use it to benefit yourself. It's it's a like you said, man, it's an infuriating time to be in politics and to try to discern all this. Yeah, well, it's yeah, they have no shame. They're not the conservatives that I grew up with that that always sort of like that were never heroes and they certainly never possessed empathy, but they're, they're not even the same breed as the jackals that you now have. Lauren Boebert, you know what I mean? Marjorie Taylor Greene, Ted Cruz. These guys are like filth, you know, they don't have any morals. They don't have, most of them don't have a brain. Ted Cruz does. He's got a Harvard law degree. He knows better, but he doesn't care, you know, and, and he's, he's an asshole. You know, it was an asshole when he was a clerk and, and when he was a staff member on Capitol Hill, like everyone who's ever known Ted Cruz despises him. Even the Republicans in his party despise him because he's an odious human being. You just look at him. He's fat Wolverine, as I said, and Rick Wilson co-opted, you know, but um, and it's offensive anyway. I shouldn't make some fun of somebody's weight. It was I was really more trying to make fun of his beard, his jowly beard, because it represents this toxic masculinity. And that's what this law does in Texas. This law plays to all the strengths of the myth of the Texan. You know, we're God-fearing Christians. Okay, well, Jesus would not want you carrying an AK-47 or AR-15 or whatever. Jesus would not want you punishing women. Jesus definitely wouldn't want you raping somebody. And then he wouldn't want you to say, like, that person has to have their rapist baby. They're as unchristian as it gets as I talk about every week on this show, basically. It's hypocrisy. It's a lifestyle brand. I'm white. I put a MAGA hashtag in my thing. I fear God. I love Second Amendment. I want guns. I hate immigrants. I'm going to go eat a ham steak of a pig that was tortured his whole life in a factory farm, and I don't give a fuck because that's the American way. You know, it's ignorance. It's mass pollution and ignorance, and it's endemic now. Because it didn't just start from the Republicans. Putin got a hold of this. 
you know, 30 years ago, the fall of Soviet Union was about 30 years ago, right? All this money flooded into Washington and it worked in concert with the Koch brothers and the Mercers and all these other libertarian billionaires. Libertarian is basically an excuse for a dumbass guy who hates women and doesn't want any personal accountability to be like, I'm a libertarian. I'm not a conservative or Democrat. I'm a libertarian. It's just another word for I'm an asshole who's afraid to <laughs> take a side. Okay, So they couch it in libertarianism, but it's just basically assholes being mean. They're trying to protect the status quo and the almighty God fearing right for the mediocre white man to make more, to do more, and to be held accountable less in the eyes of the law. Do you know what I'm saying? To get away with more. That's what this is about. But the Russians were able to sort of manipulate these people on a mass level. And that's what you see now at all these school board meetings. You know, there was proud boys outside of schools this week telling people to take off their masks. Somebody attacked a teacher, tried to go into the principal's office and put zip ties on her. Like they're weaponized, they're soldiers. And I don't think people are calling it out for what it is, Jimmy. You know, it's dangerous and and everyone's acting like it's not. I mean, we're all sharing the videos and being outraged and like, but we need to look deeper. Like, why are these people showing up and doing this? Where did these people get that radicalized that putting on a mask and potentially saving a child or an elderly person's life or their own life or their husband's life or wife's life? Why did that become a talking point? You didn't have a a smidgen of that empathy for a classroom full of school children that got mowed down in 2012, you know, a half an hour from me in Sandy Hook. And as a matter of fact, Remington is now suing that the lawyers that are representing are trying to get the kindergartners grades. They're trying to get the attendance records and the grades of those kids that were murdered so they can use them against them in court. Can you imagine that? Like that's the depravity of these gun companies and these lawyers and half of America or whatever the percentage is thinks it's okay. It's not okay. You're letting gun companies brutalize families that were already brutalized. Alex Jones did it. He said it was a hoax and all this stuff. And Alex Jones was on Joe Rogan. Like I don't have any sympathy for Joe Rogan. I know comedians aren't supposed to talk about another comedian. I didn't know Joe Rogan was a comedian. Until I became a comedian, I thought he was a guy who made you eat bugs on a game show. Like yeah. I literally, I didn't even know he, about the comedy store or any of that stuff, you know? And he's a dick. Like you're hurting people. You're a dick. You got 80. I said it just for playing Orlando alone, for playing an arena in a state that has a Delta influx when you already got $80 million in the bank. You know, I wouldn't play a club for $800 in Florida and I don't have any money in the bank. Do you know what I'm saying? So to be that rich already and be that greedy. And think, well, I'm a libertarian, it's freedom, or blah, blah, blah. No, you're just going to get people killed, and you're an asshole if you don't care about other people around you, period. And he's a guy who left California to move to Texas in the first place because he thought mask mandates were draconian. And this is working. It's the same kind of Russian stuff. And that guy had Alex Jones on his show. And they think, well, it's my podcast. I can have whoever I want on. Yes, you can. But if you're having on people like that, you're an asshole you know, and you're not a good American. It's not free speech. You're a dick and you make this country worse. And you're probably doing it because you know, you're going to make a buck off it because the guy got an army of all these. I know the kind of people that listen to Joe Rogan. I've met some of them. They're fucking morons. You know what I mean? They get their little buzz cut on the side and work out, bro. You know what I mean? Like you're an idiot. 
there's so many idiots like that in the comedy world, just toxically masculine douchebags, you know, who get up on stage, hold a microphone and talk about how they hate women or can't say shit anymore because of wokeism. Yeah, you can. You can say whatever you want. If it's hateful and racist and misogynistic, we're not going to laugh. Actually, a lot of people will laugh. That's who, you know, in my neck of the woods, it's these kind of racist Italian-American comics sell out in all these theaters and stuff. That's the big draw in this part of the country. These guys that were going after Cuomo and all this stuff. I ain't wearing a mask. I go into 7-Eleven. I can't person doesn't even speak english i can't even say their name what's up with this you know that kind of comedy that dumb white suburban i don't understand the world anymore that kind of thing has a big appeal you know there's not a lot of money in what i do like and i'm not complaining about that i'm just saying like people aren't masses aren't showing up to see somebody kind of talk about the truth that as he sees it politically you know what i mean i have my fans and i'm grateful when they come but i'm not a big draw anyway you know i'm only doing this because this is my truth and I want to speak out and I know how to write jokes. You know, I know how to make it funny, but I'm trying to make you think. I'm not really even trying to make you laugh. And I'm certainly trying not to make you laugh at somebody else who's less fortunate than you or move to this country to make a better life for themselves because their own country got screwed because of decades of capitalism, you know, and colonialism and stuff. I'm not going to make fun of them. You know, because they're working in a 7-Eleven and you can't say their name. I heard that as a punchline on a theater that I'm playing in a, you know, a couple of months by another comedian who sold the thing out. You know, I went to high school with these kind of goombas. It's dumb. It's a dumb part of America, but it's a lucrative part of America, part of America. And Fox News doesn't care. They'll take your money. Joe Rogan doesn't care if you die. He'll take your money. He's tweeting the shit now. As I said, there's a guy, I won't even say his name. But he had a tweet that was really mean about the abortion stuff. And he called women a bunch of whores and stuff. He's hurting people. And he thinks it's, oh, it's free speech. I'm a conservative. I can just say that you're not a conservative. You're an asshole. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing conservative about being anti-abortion. It's just being an asshole. It's none of your fucking business. It's a medical procedure. Well, and um, a sports star that I can remember who was very controversial and very right wing with his opinions was uh kurt schilling you know and he said you know i have a right to say what i feel and a perfect response that i can recall someone saying was well we have a right to respond to how you feel you know and how you feel sucks maybe you should have some growth and see people besides yourself but it's becoming pretty clear man like this is not just a fascist takeover it's a culture war on everything that makes america america like they want it to be strip ball, strip malls and Applebee's for the remainder of time with the guns and everything else that we've talked about on this show. Um, you have to learn from different cultures to get any kind of depth in this life. You know, you can't isolate yourself amongst your own kind and expect to have a grand experience. It's just not going to work that way. I hear you, bro. When I was, I don't know why I just thought of this, but like, I worked with Oprah a couple times. Have I ever talked about Oprah on here much? Yeah, you talked about when she tried out for the color purple. I told that story. Did I tell yeah. the story of the after party after? No. I would like okay. to hear All right. That so, one. and I told the story how I had worked with her like 10 years before I did that one woman show and they offered me a job and I said no in 1996. Yeah. And it's like I would have had a yacht if I said yes, but I was like, no, I just got out of drama school. I'm going to be famous myself. <laughs> you know? <laughs> But uh, and it took 10 years and I got hired to work on the 10th anniversary of uh, O Magazine. And they were doing a big one man show, one person show at at, uh, 
Radio City Music Hall, George C. Wolfe was directing. It was amazing. And I, I guess I've told that story, how Oprah told this story about how she sort of figured out how life works. And it's like, you know, if you want something for yourself, try to make sure somebody else around you gets the same thing. You know, the quickest way to make your own dreams come true is to help somebody else's dream come true. That's when you're cooking with fire in this life. You know, when you're trying to lift up those around you. So she tells this story. I'm like in tears, you know, sitting in the audience because it's like me and like three other people and George C. Wolf, and she's on stage telling this story. And I know it to be truth. And whenever I hear or see truth in my life, I always tear up because it touches something deep inside of me. It's almost like you're recognizing yourself because at our base level, we're made out of love. We're the same thing as that fish and that fly and all those other things you think you're not a part of, you actually are a part of. You know, you're made out of the same substance and uh, you're always meeting yourself in a way and we lose touch with that. And that's how come it's so easy to be cruel because we identify with the wrong things, right? But so whenever I see somebody who recognizes that, it always sparks something in me, you know, that touches emotion and you just got to let emotion go because that's, that's part of being alive too. You get to feel things and it doesn't always feel good, you know, suffering is part of life. That's what the Buddhist taught us. But so I'm sitting here and I get the call on the radio and it's like, Oprah's going to have an after party now. Like now she wants to have an after party. We got to all meet in the Roxy suite at the end of rehearsal. And the Roxy suite is like this apartment that's built into Radio City Music Hall that was put there by one of the Rockefeller scions when they were building the Rockefeller Center. So because he was having an affair with a rocket and it's like a private apartment in that mm -hmm. building and there's like tunnels and everything and i actually use those tunnels with the rockets when i do the tree lighting every every year because oh, you cool. can get, yeah you can get from rock center into radio city and vice versa going through these tunnels right so somebody was cheating on their wife and they didn't want to end up you know in the gossip you know they didn't <laughs> want to get seen doing it and so they could kind of do it within the building and there's this nice little suite there and um so we go meet in the suite, you know, they're like, no, when she's done, bring her to the Roxy suite and we'll figure out what we're going to do for this after party after the show the following night. Right. And we walk into this room and I walk in there with Oprah. Right. And there's all these people lined up, you know, that got this last minute call, like you're catering a private party for Oprah Winfrey. Right. That's the call you want to get if you're a caterer. You know, that's a once in a lifetime kind of like, oh, my God. You know, so you send your best person down there. And they're all kind of lined up. You had like a beverage person and an entree person and a dessert station person, you know, and they're all like, Miss Winfrey, you know, what can we get you? You know, and the first person was like, I can make these drinks, you know, where I get mint and it's been handpicked by virgins off a certain like coastal like region in Normandy or something. You know what I mean? Like they were just like, I can get all this fancy, crazy stuff. And Oprah's like, well, what do you make when you have your friends over on Sunday, you know, and you're watching TV? And they're like, well, I make sangria and it's delicious. And they're like, she's like, make that. <laughs> right. And then nice. she gets to the next person who's like, you know, what about food? You know, and he's like, well, I can have fresh lobsters flown in from Maine and we can get Prince Edward Island oysters and we can do I can make a seafood tower and we could do this, you know. And Oprah, once again, was like, well, what do you make for your family when they're coming over and somebody special is going to be there you hadn't seen in a while? And they're like, well, I make this paella that's really great with shrimp. And she's like, make that, right? Gets to the next person, like, Miss Winfrey, I can hand churn ice cream in front of your guests, you know, with like artisanal cow's milk and stuff. And, and she's like, well, once again, what do you make for your girlfriend, you know, when you're making her a nice dinner? Well, I make strawberry shortcake, make that. 
my point was by the third time I got what Oprah was doing, right? Because she's Oprah Winfrey. She knows everyone she meets is trying to kiss her ass and they're coming at her from the point like she's a billionaire, right? I got to give her the most fancy, craziest stuff I can think of because she's <laughs> Oprah Winfrey. She's royalty in this country, you know, and she's an amazing human being. I love her. But that's how they're approaching her. It's like meeting the Queen of England or something. Like people are like, I got to, and she knows that. She knew how to immediately disarm these people. And she knew how to tap into what made them great and what they loved. Because if you're making the thing that you love, that you make for your family, for Oprah Winfrey, you're going to make it so good. You know what I mean? That's going to be the best paella you ever made because she's letting you be yourself. That's what she was doing. She was like, what are you good at? You know, not don't guess what I like. What do you like? Because if you like it, I'm probably going to like it too. And that's how you have to view the world, right? You go travel the world. And I've gotten to do that a little bit. I go eat where the people are eating, like who work for a living, right? When I'm in Japan, I go to the places where people are going to eat when they have an hour off at lunch, you know, and it's always a little dumpling shop or whatever. It's not the fancy thing. You know, you're not looking for the Michelin stars. You're looking for where common folks sort of congregate and eat cheaply and stuff. And, and that's the good stuff. And I learned that from Anthony Bourdain, you know, who lived in my neighborhood, who I never met, but he lived in my neighborhood and I was a huge fan. But um, my point is in all this, you got to be embracing of other cultures. You know, somebody like don't have contempt without investigation. Right. If somebody eats it, odd are, odds are it's pretty good. You know what I mean? People are like, I ain't eating that kind of food. Why? It's probably good. If a whole country's eating it, there's a reason they're eating it. People don't sit around and eat stuff that doesn't taste good. And in the larger point, Oprah was it was a masterclass in that. It was just like, how do I get the best out of people? And she had to figure that out because she's been Oprah Winfrey for 30 years, more than 30 years. Right. So she's been treated that way everywhere she went. And what a, what a wonderful thing, because these people that were trying to gift her, she was then gifting them back. And she was also guaranteeing you were going to get the best performance out of that person. Because when you try to go fancy and please everybody and, and spend as much money as you can, it just doesn't work out. As you know, like home cooking tastes better than sitting down at a five course meal in some stuffy restaurant where everyone's trying to like impress each other like that, that stuff's no fun. And she was able to make it fun and it was actually a fun party. But um, so that's my, my Oprah thing that I thought of in that moment. What do you got to say about that, Jimmy? What you were talking about kind of reminded me of when I was a little kid and I would go to physical therapy. When you're diagnosed with cerebral palsy, you need physical therapy, regardless of the severity of your disability, you need it week to week just to improve and kind of get to where you need to be. And one of the things that my mom would tell physical therapists is to try to stay positive when they give their feedback to parents and kids. Cause like if I was in kindergarten, first, second grade, getting physical therapy and my therapist every time said, you know, Jimmy fell down four times today. Uh, you know, and we're not, we're not really getting a lot better. Maybe in a couple of weeks, it'll be there. Well, instead of that, maybe she should have said, you know, he walked a hundred feet without a walker today. Like, that's a lot of progress. You know, like these Republicans, these these folks that are voting for the GOP, they think that manipulation is leadership. They're so foreign to empathy and to having their feelings 
validated that they don't even recognize it anymore. You know, our humanity has disappeared. Right. And it's, it's terrifying as a young man in this country. Well, don't be, don't be scared because, you know, you got a big heart and you're going to, you know, you're you're a warrior, you know, and you're going to keep fighting. So like, don't worry, don't be scared. Okay. Because fear is debilitating. It's daunting and it's ugly and they've made empathy a punchline. That's what I was talking about with those kind of comedians, right? They're basically afraid inside and they're tiny men and they're scared to show their own sensitivity and vulnerability, right? That's where homophobia and stuff comes from, right? Everybody's probably a little gay like or can understand it do you know what i'm saying yeah like yeah i know guys my whole life oh you think he's good looking yeah he's great looking look at that dude they're like how could you think another dude's good looking how could you not you know what i'm saying right i happen to not be gay but if i was there's five dudes i could think of right now that i'd be they could get it do you know what i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) like you're telling me you don't think brad pitt's good looking like it's insane but we're conditioned to be like yo i can't show that side of me (laughs) school you know, in my generation, they'd call each other slurs, you know, derogatory language, you know, what do you F, you know, the F word and all this kind of stuff that was normal. That was part of comedy. When I was a kid, Eddie Murphy would do bits about that stuff. And he's not a bad guy. I'm just saying it was, it was accepted, you know, it was accepted to be homophobic, but that comes from a deep insecurity, you know, and these guys that are just like, I'm a conservative. So I'm going to like, piss off a bunch of women by writing this tweet they're doing that out of fear they hate women because they're scared of women because they can't dominate them you know like men are scared of women women should be in leadership positions i've worked with women more than men in my life the good part of my career is that it's the talent departments that i worked at that was the one part of live television that was like dominated by women so it was always like talent executives were women that's who hired me i always work better with women and obviously i've worked with powerful men and rock stars and all that. But like, in terms of like putting somebody in charge, put a woman in charge. You know, I'm sick (laughs) of dudes like being in charge because a lot of dudes are coming at it from that place of fear. They're sort of carrying a hundred, 200, a thousand years of parochialism with them. And this idea of what a man is, you know, a man should be able to cry. A man should be sensitive. A man should like want to see every color in the rainbow and serve them all equally you know that's what you want in a leader that's what you want it's empathy you know you said the key word there jimmy empathy and a lot of people fear empathy and it's become a punchline and you try to bully the other person before they find out that it exists in you you know that's what bullies are in high school and stuff in school bullies are people that have deep insecurities and they pick on the other person before because they're so scared that everyone else is going to see their shortcomings. And I, I fell into that, you know, verbally, I've bullied people in my life. You know, I came from a broken home. I had like not the right clothes. A lot of the times I was very, you know, I was poor when I lived with my, you know, a single mom who was an alcoholic. Like I had some tough circumstances as a kid and I regret nothing more than those moments where I could have been kind and I wasn't. And when I wasn't, it was because I was trying to like, put the attention on someone else because I was so scared of the attention coming on me, you know? And then I lived in a neighborhood where that was a way of life. It was all about, oh, look at his shoes. He got his shoes at the grocery store. We used to get shoes at the grocery store when I was a kid. They were called Bobos, Jimmy. They used to have a big bin and they would sell shoes in a grocery store. You can't even imagine that now, right? But in the seventies, you didn't have Walmarts everywhere and stuff. So 
it's kind of like if you're poor now, you can hide it better because it's easier to get name brand shit, you know, and there's Walmarts and all this Chinese manufacturing like that didn't exist. Like you would get your stuff at like secondhand stores and I had nice stuff. I didn't always go without, but I lived in a neighborhood where many people were going without and, and you were terrified of having that pointed out. So you reacted in a certain way. And obviously, you know, I'm five, seven as a 50 year old, I was a pretty crappy bully because, you know, I was a pretty small kid, you know, and I am pretty sensitive and empathetic, but you know, the couple of times I wasn't, I regret for my whole life, you know, and there's people that never end up regretting it, but it's that same psychological like compulsion that makes people do that. You know, they're hiding and pretending to be something. And now we have a whole industry a whole political brand that props that up. You don't have to be insecure. You can get a Ford F-150 and a gun, <laughs> you know, and a beard and a MAGA t-shirt. You're going to be the toughest son of bitch on the block. And you're going to make fun of all this stuff you don't understand. And those guys are selling it to you. It's a scam. They're laughing at you. They're laughing at these rubes that are buying all this stuff. And I don't mean rube, like rural, whatever. You know, I just... Oh, I'm exhausted. It's exhausting. <laughs> People are getting conned. You're paying Trump's rent on an empty floor on the 15th floor of Trump Tower because his shitty shirt maker, suit maker, bailed last November. The guy who made Ivanka's shitty shoes bailed last <laughs> November, and they owe him like rent. They're trying to sue for back rent. But in the meantime, Trump is taking all of his political donations and dumping them into his building. He's paying himself rent. It's a damn scam. You're paying for a guy to pay for empty office space on Fifth Avenue. That's what you're doing, rural America. That's your big hero. He's not down there in Alabama. He's not in Louisiana right now helping out. He's not helping out in Bedminster, which is about 20 minutes from Newark that got hit the hardest during Hurricane Ida. And I guarantee you, he will file an insurance claim and say there was a bunch of damage to his golf club. You know, or one of his goats died because he has goats there so he can write it off as a farm and he gets a tax break. It's a golf club with a big mansion and a bunch of cottages. That's where Ivanka lives. Ivanka and Jared live there. You know, it's a fancy club, but he's going to file a claim just like he did after 9-11. He wasn't anywhere near there, right? His building didn't get damaged, but he took federal funds. That's what they do. It's a scam. But nobody who listens to this podcast is going to have their mind changed about that. You know, it's smart people mostly that listen to this probably, but um, that's the way it is, you know? Yeah. One thing that Trump could have actually done that would have helped homelessness, you know, what if he offered Trump Doral as like a, a homeless shelter and provided resources for people, you know, that would actually help. And was it, was it a Rodney Dangerfield? <laughs> the biggest waste of prime real estate is, golf courses and cemeteries you know like if, if trump really wanted to help the people that need help in this country he could offer his properties but he's not going to because he's an arrogant asshole yeah you know? never never help anybody in his life he never has all right so let's wrap it up let's get out of here what do you got to promote jimmy uh let me just add a quick point you, uh, you, you mentioned that i'm not going to talk about tip Tebow. We'll talk about find- tip Tebow if you want he got a new fancy job. He's the host of First Take, which is like one of their main shows on ESPN. So after getting drafted in the first round, winning a playoff game, getting a, a Major League Baseball career, a second attempt at the NFL, he lands at ESPN. So I, 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 yeah, 
Colin Kaepernick is still unemployed. Is that what exactly. you're Because I saw Colin Kaepernick play in a Super Bowl. I don't think I ever saw Tim Tebow play in a Super Bowl unless I'm wrong. No, he could. The guy could barely complete two passes. You know, a, a dead clock is right twice a day. And that was Tim Tebow when he won with the Broncos a couple years back. But in my time with the NFL, you know, I did a similar job to Noel, where if you went to Lucas Oil Stadium and you were part of the media, I was the first person you saw. And a lot of the people that I greeted with ESPN, the NFL network, their producers were women. You know, as a guy that went into the NFL thinking that a majority of the business is going to be men, and it, and it was. The boss that I worked for was a woman in the public relations department for the Indianapolis Colts. But I was surprised that all of the networks week to week, especially the national ones, have women as producers. So yeah. I, I'm with Kev Moe. Put a woman in charge. Absolutely. And I got yeah. friends, you know, that I've worked with 20, 25 years that are huge and all that, you know, a friend who's got like, she's got like 10 Emmys because she mm -hmm. sat in the sports truck on all this stuff from the US Open to PBR bull riding, the sports and all this stuff. Live television, you know, it's got a lot of really skilled women in it. And it was one of those places they could get in and they excelled at it, you know, and they run that show for the most part. But the network bosses are still men. That's why you got... CNN has Jeffrey Tubin on there talking about women's rights in Texas, a guy who was jerking off in front of women on a Zoom call earlier this summer and got fired. You know, CNN has Jeffrey, what do you think about the Supreme Court? I don't care what Jeffrey Tubin thinks. He's not the only guy with a law degree in this country. And guy is the word you don't want in there. What do the women think? How can I back you up? What do you need in this fight? I'm your ally. Tell me what to do. Take it as a given that I won't be going and buying a Dell computer, signing a contract with AT&T, you know, or working on a Super Bowl at Caesars Palace Stadium or whatever the hell Cowboy Stadium is called this week. OK, <laughs> but like, you know, so that's a given we can boycott the state, you know, and I love Texas in terms of literature. As I've said before, all my favorite songwriters are from Texas. I grew up reading Larry McMurtry, Lonesome Dove, Texasville. Awesome culture awesome culture and and we you can do better and the, the ones that are like well the victims don't criticize us no do something tell us what you need and it's more than just canvassing it's more than just get out the vote because they're going to redistrict this thing to prevent that from happening part of the law you know that just passed september 1st is that judges can arbitrarily throw out election results right somebody can just say hey they cheated i don't think biden won that county i think it went for trump and with the new law, they can just throw that out. So they're trying to make sure what happened last November doesn't happen again, meaning their side loses and they don't have any recourse. That's the danger, you know, and that's where we need massive mobilization. You're going to need to boycott Texas to the point that they run that governor out of there on the rails if they make a special rail and make it close to <laughs> <laughs> but uh I, uh see i can say that to jimmy right Jay, it's funny all right I'll, but you know what funny. i mean you know what i mean <laughs> and the guys you know 56 or 59 children died since by september 3rd by him opening the schools 59 Jeez. kids so you know this whole hypocrisy of like we're anti-abortion because we care about children you just let 59 children that had already grown up in the world that had names and families and siblings and bedrooms and stuffed animals are not coming home again 
because your governor cared more about grandstanding politically than he did about saving the lives of children. So don't give me this, we don't want abortion because we care about life and children. You don't. You care about your own political prospects by manipulating ignorant people that think Jesus wants them to have a gun and a bunch of hate in their heart because he doesn't. There's nothing more unchristian than what's going down in Texas right now. Women should have more rights to reproduce than COVID-19 right now in, in Texas. Yeah, you don't have to argue with me. Uh, you know, we've pretty much turned Texas into Gilead at this point. And the Biden administration has said they're going to look into it. But and don't at me, but Biden should have anticipated this. With the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a lot of rights went away. You know, this could have been anticipated months ago. Yep, you're right. Now it's fall. Maybe they'll, maybe, you know, Merrick Garland will do something, you know, but I think, you know, we'll be having the same conversation at Christmas, Jimmy, being like, can you believe Matt Getz is still walking free? You know, and, and at that point, Trump's going to announce. Once he announces he's running again, the whole climate changes because then he gets to say they're persecuting me for political reasons. That's why I've always told people time is not on your side with these guys. They have this loud, boisterous army. It's not who tells the truth. It's whoever lies the first and loudest. Okay. And they're much louder. I said it on Twitter, like, you know, the truth is like a folk singer in a church parking lot playing acoustically. Okay. (laughs) The right wing is like Metallica setting up their full PA rig, you know, Slayer, you know, on 11. That's, you know, and that is deafening. And that's all a lot of this country is going to hear, you know, And, and you have to, you know, you have to understand, like, they're setting up the speakers, man. They're about to start moshing again on America. They're marching on September 18th, right? Right after I'm at the Ram's Head Tavern in Annapolis, Maryland on Thursday, September 16th, 8 p.m. show. It's going to be wonderful. $20 tickets. Get them on my website, noelcastler.com. Anyway, after that show on <laughs> Saturday, I'm going to stick around and go see some MAGA idiots uh, on the mall because they're, they're marching again. Like you just said, we're six months, eight months out from January 6th. They're doing it again because they got away with it, right? Yeah, sure. They they sent the QAnon shaman to four years of jail, which means he'll get out in two or three, right? If that was a black guy who was wearing horns and naked in the Capitol, busting into the well of Congress, you think he would have gotten four years in prison? That guy never would have seen the light of day again, Right. Instead, the guy gets four years. So, you know, it's a soft pedal. They're not out for blood, the Democrats, like they should be. I'm tired of this. Hold on. They're just building an airtight case. No, they're not. They're stalling. They're stalling to keep things going at status quo pace because a lot more people than you think have something invested in keeping it the way it is as opposed to really changing America. And we'll be back with you next week. This is episode 27. Jimmy, what do you want to plug? Uh, check out my website, jbkonair.com, jbkonair.com. Uh, everything about me right there, one-stop shopping. Check it out. All right. And you guys know where to find me, noelcastler.com. Peace out. Be well, be safe. We'll see you next week. We love you. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs>